Welcome to the MindVine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Welcome to the MindVine Podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers, and we are not at Ontario Shores this time. We are at the Omni King Edward Hotel in Toronto, set for Pandemic Heroes, Standing Up for Mental Health Gala. It's a partnership event between Ontario Shores, uh, CMHA National, and the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And we're recognizing the achievements of extraordinary Canadians who have went above and beyond to support mental health uh, across Canada during the pandemic. And it's very fitting to have another extraordinary Canadian uh, as our MC this evening. Um, my generation will remember you, obviously, from uh, the Olympics in 1992, yeah. and um, you're, you're forever connected uh, not only to the bronze medal, but to your injury uh, that you overcame, and, and uh, now lately with your advocacy around mental health. So first of all, thank you for being at this, uh, certainly the first in-person event that I've been to. Uh, I in know. since it's exciting. <laughs> it is very exciting. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, it's going to be, should be a great night. Uh, there's lots of great stories. Uh, about mental health uh, during the pandemic and what people have done and um, maybe a little bit about uh, why mental health and this kind of uh, an event like tonight is something that's so close to your heart. Well, this is the first live event I've done since the pandem pandemic started and I, I, I am truly excited about it and, and it's so fitting that it's for mental health. Everybody experiences mental health, um, you know, and I think the pandemic has really pushed that to the forefront that uh, nobody is 100% mentally healthy and nobody's 100% mentally ill. And tonight, you know, we're going to be celebrating uh, not just shining a spotlight on mental health, but shining a spotlight in the individuals who've made a difference in other people's mental health during the pandemic. So I'm super excited about that. You know, why am I passionate about mental health? Um, because I've struggled, I struggled myself, you know, and it took me a long time to actually figure out that I was struggling with mental health. Um, I thought there was just something wrong with me, kind of as a person. And, uh, you know, as an athlete, you're used to just performing, putting everything to one side. You're in highly competitive environments, you're under ton of pressure, and you just deal with it and you just, swallow whatever emotions or whatever is going on in your life and you get out there and you perform. So I was really good at stuffing it down. Uh, and, then, and then I had kids uh, and kids, I tell you, they'll, <laughs> they'll show you what you're struggling with pretty darn quick, right? And, I had, and, and when my kids were like three and five, you know, I had that moment. Um, I had that moment where I realized I wasn't okay. And that if I didn't do something, I was going to mess up my kids. And that provided me the motivation that I needed to swallow my pride and ask for help. And it was a life-changing moment for me. Did you talk about, you know, your career and being, you know, kind of mentally strong and that, um, that idea of pushing through and all the things that you kind of were able to deal with. And... I remember at that time too, like 1992, Barcelona, like not only were you getting all sorts of accolades, you know, for what you overcame physically, but also like mentally, like, you know, you rehabbed in a very short period of time and, and then were able to excel at, at a world-class level. 
And you, got, you received a lot of accolades for being you know, mentally strong, tough, whatever those yeah. buzzwords are. And then, um, you know, you fast forward to your life where, you know, things are kind of unraveling and it must be hard to make sense of those two things. I mean, it's hard for all of us, all of us who've got to that point of asking for help. It's, it's never easy. Um, for me, I definitely had that uh, persona of courage, courageous, of being uh, tough, being able to get through anything. Uh, because I did. I got through a near career ending accident. And in 10 weeks, I not only got back, but won an Olympic bronze medal, right? Which was a superhuman effort. And it was a matter of mind over matter. The thing that you learn when you're on your mental health journey is actually uh, it takes a lot of courage and strength to be uh, able to work through your stuff and to um, find the honesty to uh, really look at yourself and to dig deeper. I mean, I think in the beginning for me, it was, yeah, you know, I'm in crises. I need, I need help. Like I said, I'm going to mess up my kids if I keep going on like this. I had so much confusion and uh, I think overwhelm and sometimes rage. And I, didn't, I had no idea where it was coming from. And I now really see, like, that's not weakness. Uh, I had a whole family history of how I got to that place. And uh, looking at my story, I really had to understand how growing up, for instance, with a mom who had an undiagnosed mental illness, living in a house where I just never knew what was going to happen. What was I coming home to that day where I wasn't safe emotionally or physically? You know, that has a legacy, and, and, and it has a legacy uh, on our souls, on, on, our, on our minds. And uh, I needed to unwind that and, and understand that. And I, not for a moment, when I look at somebody who's struggling with mental health, do I think of them as weak. Um, I think of them as strong and courageous. And it, it takes that kind of um, tenacity and, and strength to really be honest with yourself about where you're struggling. And uh, I admire people who um, do the work to understand themselves better and to work through the challenges that they have mentally. It must have been a really, I mean, obviously it was a difficult time, but you talk about your kids being young and you also, you know, being a mom, they're like the, the, the pressure and expectations of being a mom are just uh, astronomical. And um, you're going through this, you're starting to recognize it, but how hard was it like to take a break? I'm assuming you did have to take a break from like some of your responsibilities or at least like go and, and, and what you perceive to be your responsibilities, I guess, and take care of yourself. Like, cause moms always put everybody else first. And here you are in the midst yeah. of raising kids and you like, I need to take care of myself. Like, how hard was that? Really hard. And, and you know, I think um, I was trying to be a mom and I was being a mom with any, without a positive role model uh, as a mom. And that was really hard because I think I tried to overcompensate. And, you know, uh, you know one of the things um, for me, with the legacy of the trauma that I experienced is this perfectionism in everything that I did. And so it was never good enough, whatever I did, whether it was in speaking, whether it's a not-for-profit world, or whether it was with my kids. And, you know, it never occurred to me that I was allowed to take a break. It never occurred to me that I was allowed to give myself time. So I did my healing 
while I was raising kids, while I was still working full time. And, and, and now I see how much more effective it would have been to actually take a break. I think, though, something I always have been good, even raising kids, is to take that self-care piece. I, I've always somehow known it was essential, um, whether for me that looked like time to exercise, uh, and that kind of what, what it was in the early days. But as I became more self-aware, it started to include time for meditation and yoga. And, and here's the one that really got me, uh, time to be alone. You know, being alone for me is how I recharge my batteries. I mean, I can be public in this way because I know how to be alone and I'm very comfortable being alone. But it was hard as a mom and as a wife uh, to find time and to justify the importance of being alone. There's a, a huge difference between, you know, reaching out for help and, and like you did and like millions of other people do and then putting it all out there for the world to see, like, like you have. And I mean, maybe, maybe it helps that you've been a public figure for a long time, but uh, like, what was you know, kind of that process like deciding you know, to share publicly about your... Yeah, well, that, that's a really fair question. As my sister said, you know, why couldn't you have just journaled like a normal person? <laughs> you, know, you had to write a book and it, you know. And, and you know, she has a point, but for me, I. I live a, a public life and I'm very, it's very important to me to be authentic in the way that I interact with people and um, what I choose to, to, to share. And as I became aware, because I don't think I was even aware before about how my past had affected my present, but as I became aware, it actually started to feel inauthentic to not share it. Like I was like lying almost, you know, I tell people that anything that they do in their life as possible and, and the importance of, you know, imagining beyond the situation you're in. And I never knew where that power came from for me. I mean, it, it came in childhood, right? Being able to imagine myself in a situation that was different and better than the one I was in. And so that's where it came from was this need um, to be authentic. And I, I think I thought I'd, I'd write the book and I didn't totally think it out. <laughs> you, you, you know, that not only was it going to be a book, but it was going to lead to interviews and television. Like, I really thought it would live on the third row of some library shelf and be read by a few people who were interested in rowing or something. But the, the, the book was very powerful. It became a national bestseller. And, it, you know, I hear a lot and constantly from people who've interacted with that book. And I'm so proud to know that me telling my story, which was very difficult to do, has helped people in a very real and concrete way. You know, I have people tell me that, you know, they read their book and they saw themselves or they had a family like mine, they had a situation like mine, and it gave them that extra little bit that they needed to go get help. Was it helpful to you, like from a therapeutic standpoint? Yeah, was totally. Your journal equivalent was... Yeah, I mean, I still journal. I'm not going to publish everything <laughs> I, yeah, I journal, but I mean, I do believe in the power of narrative. Um, you know, I have, have an organization that really focuses on the power of narrative to heal both the storyteller and to use the story to help move other people along their mental health journey, right? Because 
I think we've been telling stories since the beginning of time. You know, it is the most uh, foundational way that we communicate is through stories. And people remember stories. And I think uh, stories have the power to shift a person's perspective and thinking in a way that facts and figures and expertise just can't do. You just touched on you know a bit of the work you do. Um, maybe before we get to the get to that, when your book came out, or maybe it was before your book came out, but um, when you started to talk about your mental health story, your mental health journey, what kind of doors did it open? What kind of reaction did you get from whether it was your family, your you know your children, or your yeah. extended friends, or like, yeah. what was that kind of experience like? Well, normally you don't write about your family in a, in a book like this that's so raw and authentic while they're still alive. You know, a lot of people wait until their parents are dead, and I chose not to, and uh, it caused a huge uh, earthquake <laughs> uh, in the family unit that needed to happen because uh, ultimately nobody had been saying what had actually been happening, and I think we had all bought into that sort of superficial family dialogue that so many of us have with our families of origin and like writing that book was just like shaking it up and nothing was left uh, untouched and so it was really hard it was really hard but um, it created an authenticity in relationship uh, particularly now with my brother and I uh, that we just didn't have before because we never really really talked about uh, this stuff and how hard it was and our feelings, not just the ha ha, remember when, you know, it wasn't that just wild, you know, that's kind of how we used to talk about it. And now, you know, we can say like, yeah, that, that was really messed up. And, and that, that wasn't okay. Your book's called Unsinkable, but you also have an organization of the same name. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about that and what, uh, you know, what you guys do and, and what you try to achieve. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the kernel, I guess, of the idea of Unsinkable, the organization, was that I always get to hear people's stories, <laughs> you know, and, I, you know, in my travels as an athlete, I heard people's stories. And when I hurt my leg, people told me all their stories of what, what they overcame physically. And then when I wrote my book, they started sharing those really deep stories of what they'd been through emotionally. And I wanted to create a place where people could read these stories because... We live in a country there, that, that, that there's just so many everyday heroes. And I wanted to celebrate those stories and those people. And I didn't think that these stories would somehow help others. Now from there, of course, the whole thing has grown and changed and become very dynamic because nothing lives on a website anymore. And suddenly we had young people, you know, doing slam poetry. You know, our, our social um, presence became enormous. We um, developed youth councils uh, who were peer-to-peer -peer support as well as, um, you know, that we would lift their own mental health advocacy. Um, and so there was a lot, lot, lot of cross um, support. You know, they would support us, we would support them. And it's just grown. I mean, I, you know, a year and a, a bit ago, we did a national television show called Unsinkable Youth. And that's actually how we um, launched our youth site. We thought we were gonna do, you know, we thought we were gonna do uh, a streaming uh, show um, that was gonna be for a few hundred people to watch. And it ended up um, being a, a one hour special about young people and their experiences during COVID and what they were struggling with and their mental health. And we brought in um, celebrities 
but mostly it was the young people that were the stars of the show. Um, and uh, I mean, we had Seth Rogen, you know, give us this really cool message. The kids made the show and we had parents telling us that they actually didn't know that's what their kids were struggling with. And that's what's so interesting about young people today is social, the internet, all the ways that they interact, they're sometimes more likely to reach out for one another through that platform than they are to walk down to the community center or go to a counseling visit. So it can be a real entry point for kids to get um, the help that they need. It must be um, a really powerful experience going, th going through that. And you think about your own journey, um, what it might have been like to hear a story like that, whether it was uh, as a young person or even as a younger uh, adult, like would it have made a difference for you hearing some of the stories that you hear now through your work? You know, absolutely. You didn't, I mean, Claire Hughes came out with her story. Um, I mean, she said that she struggled with mental health, but I didn't know much more about it. But I think when we started to hear more people's stories and we started to um, feel like it was okay to have a moment of self-care, even as an Olympic athlete, even as a high performer, I was so far away from that reality when I was an athlete. It took me till I was nearly 40 to, to really start doing the work and understanding um, that nothing was gonna change in my life. Nothing was going to, um, you, you know, my internal life was not gonna change if I wasn't willing to go back there. And so I did. And I think that all of us, like we are tonight, sharing our stories, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, having conversations that matter, it has a huge impact and it gives that person out there. And there are still so many people that don't know how to get help, that are afraid of taking that first step, that might not even see how they're struggling. And the more kinds of conversations we have with a diverse um, number of people with diverse number of problems, with diverse backgrounds, the more likely that person who's struggling and doesn't know they need help will have that moment. And, and that is so encouraging to me because that gives us uh, a chance that that moment is not in an emergency room. It's that moment that happens where, you know, they get it while they're still um, more stable and more able to recover. You know, Olympian, I wonder what your thoughts are on Simone Biles. Um, you know, Beijing or uh, the last Olympics, uh, not in Beijing, but last Olympics. Uh, and she took a mental health break, um, essentially, for lack of a better term, deciding that um, she wasn't uh, well enough to compete. And, um, and then, you know, there was all sorts of opinions out there on social media, but uh, like I never thought I'd see a day where Olympian uh, you know, steps aside and, and fully, disclose, fully discloses uh, a personal mental health issue. As somebody who's in that position, um, you know, what do you think of that whole experience? I mean, in that single action, Simone Biles created a legacy of openness and disclosure and vulnerability that is going to be far bigger and greater than anything she did in sport. And that single decision that she made to be honest with herself to stop in the middle of the Olympic Games and to also then say, not oh, it was an injury, but to say, it's my mental health. And all of us who were following her before knew 
that she had been sexually abused, as had 500 of her teammates, uh, you, you know, going into those Olympic Games. And, uh, you know, so we knew that story of abuse. And of course, you know, if you just use common sense, you are going, there's going to be mental health ramifications of that kind of um, terrible, terrible uh, abuse. So it wasn't a surprise to me. What it was a surprise to me was that she did it on the Olympic stage, and I was so glad that she did. Yeah, I think it really opened doors. I mean, you've seen it in other sports too, where athletes have taken time away and have told the truth, which for yeah. decades, uh, it would have been a lower body injury or personal issue or some other uh, term use. Um, I just want to say thank you. I think it was, a, it was great chatting with you about your personal story and thanks for being here and uh, for all you do for, for mental health. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to tonight.